Hello, and welcome to Soarin'. Snow White is a goal we've been aiming at for ten years. There won't be any Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck to attract the people. They'll all be brand new characters. It's a world of laughter. A world of tears. It's a world of hopes. And a world of fears. There's so much that we share. That it's time we're aware. It's a small world. After all... You see your true colors shining through the- Did you know Disney World is the most popular vacation place on Earth? And you know what? You're coming at just the right time. Because Disney has exciting new attractions this summer. Like a new land in the Magic Kingdom called Mickey's Toontown Fair. The porcupine represents faith and trust. He reminds us that we can accomplish great things as long as we truly believe we can. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 190 for the week of October 3rd, 2010. Disney historian, author, and former cast member Jim Corcus has just released his first book, The Vault of Walt, and he joins me this week to discuss his history with Disney, as well as how the book came to be, and some of the stories about Walt Disney, the films, parks, attractions, and so much more. I'll have some announcements, then play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. I have to say that one of the greatest things I've discovered and really a true blessing since I've been doing the books and the show and everything else has been getting to meet and know and befriend Jim Corcus. I had the pleasure of meeting him many, many years ago in person, and I was immediately drawn to his vast knowledge of Disney and his incredible personal stories and that shared passion that we had for all things Disney. And I consider myself fortunate to be able not to have just gotten to know him, but to have him on the show where he shares his incredible stories behind the stories that literally no one else can tell. And finally, Jim has responded to his millions of fans' requests to put out more of those stories and facts and true untold treasures in a book and his first ever book under his name called The Vault of Walt. And I am pleased to have Jim back to tell some of his story and let us in on how the book came to be, the stories that are inside it. So again, I want to welcome back to the show my friend, Disney historian, speaker, magician, so much more. Jim, I'll always be Merlin Corcus. (laughs) 
Lou, always always a pleasure. Although you didn't quite tell your audience uh, the entire truth. The entire truth, of course, is that I pulled a thorn from um, Lou's paw. <laughs> and so, uh, in appreciation, he's returning that favor by uh, allowing me to... Uh, uh, plug uh, a brand new book that uh, I've written, which is available now, called uh, The Vault of Walt. Uh, starting on October 3rd, it'll be available at uh, Amazon.com for 19.95, and it's filled with all sorts of uh, wonderful uh, Disney stories. It's over uh, 450 pages uh, uh, long, with uh, close to 40 uh, separate stories. And so, Lou said. Jim, I, I want to talk about the book, and I want to talk about its creation, but I also want to talk about the creation of Jim Corcus. So today, I guess that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about the creation of Jim Corcus, and you can fast-forward through that on your <laughs> on <laughs> at home, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit uh, more about uh, the, the book, and uh, hopefully you'll be encouraged uh, to go out and Buy a copy for yourself and buy a copy for a friend as a, as a Christmas gift. So where do you want to start, Lou? Well, I want to start off by saying that the, the pleasure is certainly ours by, by you coming on and sharing this. And I also want you to note, Jim, that for the first time in really a long time, I'm letting you do this over the phone inside instead of in the blazing sun of Florida. And, Lou, I appreciate that because uh, uh, those of the listeners who are in Florida know that We've been going through that uh, heat wave where even if it's uh, 93 degrees, with the uh, heat index and the humidity, it can feel to 110. And so, yes, this is an unusual experience to be talking to you and uh, not sweating and having my clothes uh, <laughs> uh, stick to my body and uh, hear all of those uh, wonderful uh, background uh, sounds, which I assume you'll incorporate later. So there'll be Disney music uh, behind whatever it is we're saying. I'm actually just going to come to your house and record some background uh, ambient audio of you shuffling through papers and clacking on the keyboard because that's really where... Because uh, really, you know, this is sort of where the, the story begins is in in how much of a researcher and a storyteller you are. But look, like I said, you're you're always telling us the stories behind the stories. And, and before we talked about the book, I think people want to hear about your story because I think your journey is so interesting with many, many twists and turns. So tell us a little bit about the early background and your interest in Disney that I had to believe started at a very young age. Well, I was, I was born as a uh, small mouse uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and uh, since I was wearing pants and gloves and shoes, they kicked me out. Now, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my dad was a uh, supervisor for American Airlines. And he got transferred to uh, Los Angeles when I was uh, about four years old. So I uh, moved out to uh, California, uh, to Glendale, California, which is right next to Burbank, where the Disney Studios are. And uh, I always consider Glendale my uh, hometown, because that's where I grew up. That's all the experiences uh, that I, I had. And in fact, most of my life was in Glendale until I moved uh, to Florida. But being in Glendale, you get uh, some Disney experiences. My third grade teacher was Mrs. Disney. 
she was the second wife of uh, Herbert, uh, the mailman, uh, who is Walt's brother. And uh, I just remember her being really, really old. But uh, <laughs> as soon as I discovered that her name was Disney, uh, I immediately took a big sheet of uh, easel paper. So it was a huge sheet of paper. And I drew Jiminy Cricket, because at the time, Jiminy Cricket was uh, uh, perhaps my favorite Disney character. Um, and so I drew Jiminy Cricket, and I gave it to her in the hopes that she would immediately take it to the Disney studios, where they would immediately hire me, <laughs> and I wouldn't have to learn my multiplication tables. I guess uh, portfolio review at Disney was backed up for decades because uh, it took me <laughs> until 1995 to be hired by Disney. But um, she was very nice. And she was also the person who told me that I shouldn't sing. As we were practicing for the um, uh, Christmas uh, holiday show, you know, you trot out all these little elementary school students, you know, wearing their uh, reindeer antlers and uh, a green sweater or a red sweater, whatever. And so we were practicing, and as we were practicing, uh, she looked over at me and she said, uh, Jimmy, are you singing? And I just, you know, puffed out my chest and proudly said, yes, I am. And she goes, you shouldn't. And so for the Christmas presentation, I was up there with my friends and I just mouthed the words. Stick to art, kid. <laughs> there is something I want to touch on because you did something incredibly bold and daring, probably something that, that could never happen today because you were frustrated about things that were going on in your, in your home life and in your professional career in the fourth grade. Tell us what you did that I think was just brilliant to that, how you came to, to know and befriend and visit at their home many of those Disney animators whose work you admired as a kid. And, uh, yes, th this, uh, I, uh, this is when, uh, I, I had become a, a teenager and a, a lot of this too was, was thanks to the fact that I had, uh, you know, a, a very loving and supportive, uh, uh, mother and, and father. So, you know, uh, okay, what's going to make you happy, you know, and, and we'll support you and, uh, all of this. Well, when I was about um, 13, 13, 14, um, I started really, and, and remember in those days, uh, there weren't uh, the, the great number of books that we have now, you know, where, where, and, and some of them are, are magnificent, you know, uh, that have all of the information and, and all of the names. And uh, when I was 13, 14 years old, this was all still, that mystery, you know, you, you take that magic pencil and animation just comes. And I was always interested in art, always interested in animation, always interested in, in Disney because Disney seemed to have that better quality, um, the, than, uh, what, uh, what I was seeing, uh, uh, elsewhere. And so as I was watching the Disney cartoons or as I was watching the, uh, uh, weekly, um, Disney television series where, where they would run animated cartoons. I would take a look at the end credits, and this is in the days before VCR, so you can't tape and, and, and slow it and whatever. So 
I would scribble down the names of, uh, of the people listed at, at the end. And I had no clue what the difference was between a animator and an assistant animator and a, a cleanup person and special effects or whatever. All I did was I would write down these names. And then, as I said, Glendale is right next to uh, uh, Burbank, where the Disney Studios are. And so there, is, there was a Glendale Burbank phone book. So they had phone numbers for both the Glendale area and the Burbank area. And a lot of the uh, uh, employees who worked at Disney lived in Glendale. And so I started flipping uh, through the phone book, trying to match up names with the names I had, I had written down, and I phoned up. And... Um, how do you make the move? <laughs> and uh, I, I would say about 90% of them were very gracious. The, the 10% that weren't uh, thought that it was a gag, that one of their friends had, you know, set this up, you know, uh, for this. But uh, many of them invited me to come over to their house to, to, to talk with them and... Uh, you know, uh, listen to stories and to ask questions, all that. The very first um, one that I interviewed, and, and I love him dearly to this day, he, he's passed away, Jack Hanna. Jack Hanna uh, started at the Disney Studios as um, an animator and worked his way up into being a story man. He was a story team with uh, Carl Barks. And then later went on to being uh, a director of many of the classic uh, Donald Duck cartoons and Chip and Dale cartoons, uh, as well as directing some of the Disney uh, television shows. And by the time I got to him, uh, he had left the Disney studio and he was uh, working as an instructor at CalArts uh, in their character animation department. So maybe that's why he was a little bit more forgiving. So anyway, he... Um, he said, uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. And so I, I wrote him this formal letter. I wish I still had it today, you know, uh, requesting an opportunity to come and uh, ask him some questions and, you know, uh, being as, as adult as a, as a 14-year-old possibly could. Fortunately, I wore glasses, so I was already more mature and, and an adult than most 14 years. 14-year-olds. And so he responded and said, yes, why don't you come up uh, Saturday at, you know, such and such a time? And I was completely scared because I didn't think he was going to say yes. And now that he does, what questions do I ask? I, I don't even know what questions to ask. And so I had mom and dad um, drop me off um, up there and actually dropped me off a half hour early and I was in my uh, suit and tie, my best suit, and I'd polished the shoes the whole bit and tie, but I was there a half hour early, and I didn't want to be rude, and because he said 2 o'clock, I didn't want to show up at 1.30, that he's expecting me at 2 o'clock. So I walked around the block for a half hour <laughs> before I finally walked up the... Uh, um, uh, steps. It, it was on a little uh, 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 hill, a little incline, so I had to walk up the steps, and I ran, rang the bell, and uh, Jack came, and he, w he was a short guy and very stocky, because he had been a fighter, 
and and I said, uh, uh, Mr. Hanna, I'm 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 Jim Corcus. I I wrote to you, and he says, Yeah, he says we were wondering about that. My wife and I were looking out the window for the last <laughs> hour, seeing you walk around the block over and over, and we were wondering why doesn't he just come out? <laughs> and um, uh, I had with me a, a little uh, a cassette uh, tape recorder. Uh, uh, you know, a very, very cheesy little thing. And uh, so we sat down. His wife was was very nice. We sat down in the living room, and you know, my mouth just hit the ground because it it was filled with all of these uh, uh, things. He had a Duxter uh, Award, which looks almost like an Academy Award uh, statuette. Uh, people who retired from the Disney Studios or who who had done something uh, of great achievement usually got a Mouseker which was Mickey Mouse, uh, and there's a handful of ducksters out there, and of course, uh, Jack got a duckster because he was considered the duck man. He, he wrote stories, he had animated on Donald Duck cartoons, he had written stories for Donald Duck cartoons, he had uh, directed Donald Duck cartoons, he had directed Donald Duck on, on the TV show, so he had that. He also had some paintings, because he was a, a, a terrific uh, landscape painter with uh, uh, several shows, but he he had some Disney things, and I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just wanted to melt and, and, and die, but he, but he was very gracious, his wife was very gracious, and um, so started off with, uh, uh, you know, the, the same type of questions that you do today on, on interviews, you know, where were you born, you know, what was your, what was your training in art, how did you get uh, hired at Disney, and all of that, and we were supposed to talk for... Uh, I think it was uh, a half hour, 40 minutes, but we ended up being almost two and a half hours where his wife came in and said, well, are you staying for dinner? <laughs> and it's like, no, I don't want to push that. So as I said in the beginning, Jim, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting and a fun and circuitous route how you go from the kid who's told not to sing or to draw to calling up animators to writing and sort of accidentally becoming a historian on Disney animation, but then you go on, you get your master's degree, you are a theater performer and a director and a show developer and, and work in places like McDonald's and, you know, not at McDonald's, but shows do shows for McDonald's and Cruise Lines and the LA Zoo. You're a magician, you were a teacher, you were a, an arts department chairman, you were on the gong show. So again, a whole nother story uh, even before you got to the company and, and how much you've done since you've been at Disney from entertainment to animation to being an instructor to, again, the extension of the writing, not just for shows in the parks at Disney Institute, um, you know, the Disney Vacation Club, the Disney Cruise Line, 100 years of, I mean, the list literally goes on and on and on and on. And you've written so much uh, in literally hundreds upon hundreds of, of magazines like Disney Files and the DVC things. Um, you've also contributed to books. The first ones that come to mind are, are Didier Gez's Great Waltz People book, uh, which has a number of interviews that you've done in it. Currently, you contribute to Celebrations Magazine, which I think is amazing. And I say that as a fan, not as the publisher. Uh, but I, I mean, in all the years that I've known you, I know I was not the only person who's been telling you, Jim, 
you got to write a book. Um, and so I think one of the questions I always had for you was, you know, now that you have this book coming out, The Vault of Walt, can maybe tell us what was it that either held you back from doing it earlier or what was it that compelled you to write this book now? Well, as you can tell from talking with me, all of this was done to impress women. (laughs) And obviously none of this other stuff impressed women. Did shows for Harvey's Casino in Lake Tahoe, for J.C. Penney's, for Montgomery Wards. Didn't impress women. Uh, Did a a quarterly column for the Disney Vacation uh, uh, Club's Disney File magazine. Went out and did uh, presentations on their members' crews. Didn't impress women. Um, So it was about time to try and find something else that was going to impress women. Uh, Actually, back in the um, late 80s, uh, I wrote a couple of uh, books with my uh, then my writing partner and my business partner, John Cawley. Uh, we wrote uh, the Encyclopedia of Cartoon uh, Superstars, the uh, uh, How to Create Animation, the, um, uh, the Buyer's Guide to Animation uh, Art, Cartoon Confidential, uh, all of those. But we, we wrote those uh, as a team, and then we were going to spin off and... Um, uh, write books separately. And in fact, uh, the last book we wrote as a team came out in 1992. And then, as you know, 1995, I moved to uh, Florida, and there really wasn't time to write a book because I was taking care of mom and dad. I was trying to get my foot in at Disney, uh, trying to get uh, all, all of this uh, involved. And thank heavens I didn't write a book then because uh, in the uh, 15 years I've been out here in Florida, I've learned so much more. I'm, I'm learning things every single day, but especially working at Disney, uh, I, I got to hook up and connect with an awful lot of people uh, who knew Walt, who had worked opening Disneyland, who had worked opening Walt Disney World, and so that opened up even more doors for me. So um, what I started to do was, if a book's going to come out, it needs to be different than the other Disney books that are out there, because there's some terrific Disney books out there. In fact, I think Lou Mangiello has written a a terrific (laughs) Disney book or two. But it needs to be something that just doesn't tread over the same territory, but takes a look at something new, something different. And so I started writing um, uh, columns uh, uh, on the Internet, and in fact, uh, I took the pseudonym uh, Wade Sampson and would write every Wednesday on uh, MousePlanet.com uh, a column on uh, Disney history. And one of the reasons for that was um, to get it out there and, and take a look at it as a, as a rough draft. And, and so corrections could be made. Uh, sometimes by writing that column, I would be contacted by people who were involved with that topic. I wrote about the Mickey Mouse uh, theater of the air radio show, and I got contacted by uh, the daughter of the person who was the musical director on the show, and so she um, was actually alive when that show was being done. So she shared some memories. She also shared uh, her uh, father's unpublished uh, memoirs that he had written. So there was information about that. So there was all of this new information coming in, and I thought it's time to get. Uh, a book uh, out there. And many people had said, oh, Jim, you need to write a book. And from past experience, I knew there really isn't any money involved in writing a book, unless you're a J.K. Rowling or a a Stephen King. 
So you can't be writing the book for the money because the money's just not going to be there. You need to write the book for another reason. You need to write the book because you've got to share these stories because if you don't, they're going to be lost. Or you've got to share these stories because, by gosh, they're fun. Or you've got to share these stories because it's going to be like a Disney history companion. It's going to fill in some of the nooks and crannies and, and spots. Um, that uh, you know uh, are missing in some of the other Disney books. So let's talk about what's in the book. I mean, it's called The Vault of Walt. Uh, it's not about Walt's cryogenically frozen body, but let's talk oh, about... <laughs> absolutely not. We're staying away from that. Wanted to come up with a title that uh, was sort of catchy. I think the title The Vault of Walt just sort of is playful on the tongue there, and it gives an indication that it's going to relate to Disney, and basically these are stories that have been locked away for years, and they've been forgotten because they've been locked away, and so now for the first time, and in, on the front cover you'll see there's even a uh, vault dial, you're going to spin the dial and open up the vault and let these out, dust them off, shake them out, and uh, share them, and this is different than other Disney books because Every chapter is self-contained. So you don't have to start at page one and then read all the way to page 463. Uh, you can pick and choose what you want to read, and it's, it's all complete. And I divided the book into four sections. So there's about ten chapters about uh, Walt himself. So uh, Walt's 30th uh, wedding anniversary is, is a chapter. Uh, uh, Walt's connection with Dee Malay is a chapter. Walt's connection and his thoughts about religion is a chapter. Then there's a section with uh, about another uh, ten chapters that deal with Disney films, both animated films and live-action films, but the ones that people don't talk about, like Lieutenant Robin Crusoe or uh, Aristocats. And um, so all of that information there. Then there's a third section that deals with the Disney theme parks. And so your listeners are very familiar with uh, the stories that I tell about the Disney theme parks. And if they've ever said, boy, I would love to have those in a, in a book so that I could spin through and, and read, well, there's a section of, of ten chapters just for you, including one on uh, uh, Cinderella's Golden Carousel, again with, with uh, some more uh, information. In fact, one of the questions you asked when we did the Merlin interview was, uh, well, why did they pick Merlin? Why sort of And I said, well, because they wanted to go back to classics and all that. And by golly, as, as soon as I got home, I realized it was because they moved the carousel at Disneyland, and, the ca and then they put the sword and the stone there first. The carousel at Disneyland is King Arthur's Carousel. So if you're doing the sword, you want something there that also relates to King Arthur, so you got Sword in the Stone. So anyway, new stuff in that. And then the final chapter is miscellaneous stuff, stuff that really wouldn't fit comfortably into the other chapters. So you got another ten chapters, and they deal with things like Khrushchev's um, uh, 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 non-visit uh, to Disneyland, the, the Mickey Mouse uh, Theater of the Air. Uh, there's a wonderful chapter that uh, uh, Diane Disney Miller uh, likes, which covers uh, Walt Disney's housekeeper, Thelma Howard, uh, who, is, uh, who they nickname uh, Fufu, and uh, Walt's uh, nurse, uh, Hazel George. And uh, again, Diane, especially on the Walt chapters, 
read through and, and gave her input and gave her uh, uh, approval. And so I am very thankful and grateful to her. And she also did, which is something she doesn't, she's only done a couple of other times, is she actually wrote the foreword for the book as well. But the thing that I like is something that you mentioned, and the thing that I really enjoyed, I was able to get a copy of the book before the interview. I love the fact that each chapter is its own story. It's not something I'm like, all right, I need to sit down and read this book beginning to end because I'm going to become intrigued by page five. No, I could have picked it up, and that's what I did. I sort of picked up and read individual stories. And I love the fact that it's not just about Walt the man, which is what that first section really brings to you is it Mm -hmm. very much personalizes Walt, but certainly my interest in the theme parks and some of the other things that I was so unfamiliar with. And what makes your stories that you do in magazines that you do here on the show, and certainly what makes this book unique is that in addition to the inordinate amount of research you do, and I know what a fact checker you are, the beauty really lies in that so many of these stories are so personal. And by that, I mean that you either experienced something yourself or you actually sat down and you spoke with a lot of the people who were relaying the information. So tell us a little bit about the research process, which admittedly you've been doing since you were a kid. Um, And look, I've been to your house. I have seen what can only be described as the largest Disney and animation reference library anywhere, literally encompasses the entire home. Incredibly impressive. Um, And just by the way, Jim, remember, if anything ever needs a good, loving home, I'm here for you. I've I've got you on the list, Lou. (laughs) I've got you on the list to come cherry pick. Because again, I have some books that don't exist at the Disney archives even. I I have some books and magazines that don't exist at... uh, uh, the Disney Family Museum up in um, uh, Northern uh, uh, California. I, I, I think one of the things that I do is I try to go for primary research. So, for instance, on the chapter dealing with Three Little Pigs, other people have written about Three Little Pigs. I went and I took a look at newspaper and magazine articles from the year that it was released. You know, um, and, and as a result, I got three great quotes from Walt that have never appeared anywhere else since that 1933 interview, and where he's talking about the three little pigs. And in fact, in, in one, he goes, we had no idea. We thought it was just going to be another regular silly symphony. He says, I certainly had no clue that it was going to take off and be a hit. Um, so, you know, you try to do the primary. Right now I'm writing an article on the Rainbow Road to Oz, and there are two really fine articles out there uh, about that project, but both of them mention that, well, in the one scene, the scarecrow helps the patchwork girl put patches onto her dress. Well, I've just watched that scene multiple times, and that doesn't happen in the scene at all. And yet, when I take a look on the the Internet and I look for other references to that, I see that they cut and pasted from those two articles, and so that is out there. But that scene does not exist. That's not. And I take a look at the script. That's not even in the script. So you have to go back and and do the the primary uh, work. Also, the thing that you touched on is for over 30 years now, I've been... um, uh, interviewing Imagineers and animators and uh, uh, cast members at the Disney theme parks and associates of Walt, uh, friends and family. And uh, you have to be careful about that because sometimes people will have an agenda 
or sometimes people will only have their perspective on the story. So you have to go back and, and double check because, again, too, sometimes they're doing that unintentionally, so you don't want to embarrass them in print. Well, they said such and such. Well, that didn't happen at all. But you'll notice in, in the book, too, and, and I had this discussion with uh, uh, the publisher uh, back, in, back and forth, uh, and fortunately he, he finally agreed with me, is there's an awful lot of quotes in the book because I feel that it's very important for the people who were there to tell the story. And especially in the chapters devoted to Walt, I tried as much as possible to pull from uh, letters that he wrote uh, and uh, interviews that he had done and uh, things that supposedly he had written, uh, you know, so that Walt could tell his story in his own words as much as possible, although oftentimes you're going to have to fill in, in those gaps. Um, and the thing is, is, is oftentimes people say, well, Jim, you're, you're, you're just like Dave Smith. And it's like, no, I've known Dave Smith for 30 years. I, I love Dave Smith. I respect Dave Smith. But Dave Smith is a, an archivist, and an archivist is like a, a librarian. You gather, uh, you know, you gather that material. You record that material. You document that material so it can be used. And that's a very, very important job. I'm a historian. I'm a Disney historian. I take that material, and I tell the story of that material. Stories are very important because... Um, they, they touch our sense of reason and our sense of emotion. And since the very beginning of time, uh, we've used stories uh, to structure information and transfer information. Uh, oftentimes, uh, and, and the reason we do that is because if you tell somebody a fact, it's just a fact, you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, America began in 1776. Okay, fine. There's no emotional connection. There's no understanding of why 1776 is important. But if you tell the story, if you tell the story of what led up to that, of what was going on, of, of, of the, uh, the people involved, suddenly that becomes alive, and suddenly you remember that. And so um, with the, the vault of Walt, I wanted to open up the vault, pull out those stories that were in danger of being lost, and sharing it with other people so that that tradition of sharing the stories could go on and the stories are 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 fun you know they're not they're not dryly academic they're 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 a lot of fun and so i'm extremely excited about the book because it's great that these stories are out there i'm also sad that i couldn't get more of the stories out there uh this is a huge huge uh book uh, as you saw, you, you've got almost 40 separate chapters, and these are lengthy chapters, um, and there's still more to tell, still more to share. And and the thing that that intrigued me about the book and what I enjoyed was I when I saw Vault of Walt, I expected to be primarily comprised of stories either about Walt Disney himself, uh, his early days at, at the studio, but there's a lot more to that in, in that there's there's older stories about Walt and things like the Three Little Pigs and Song of the South and the Aristocrats and 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 Toby Tyler, but there's also a lot of contemporary things as well. There's the Fountain at Epcot. The, there's the Mickey Mouse Review. There, there, there's the first uh, uh, complete story about uh, the creation of Captain EO 
from creation to to, to premiere. Um, actually, it's the vault of Walt because a, a lot of that is about the time period that Walt was involved with, but it also covers Walt's legacy. Right. Some some of the things that um, uh, you know developed that uh, came from that that same spirit uh, uh, of Walt. For instance, in the Mickey Mouse uh, review chapter, uh, Bill Justice talks about the reason that he created this attraction was he felt there needed to be something at the parks to represent Walt's animation history, and he did not see that, that that was in danger of being lost, that, that animation history, that animation music history, you know, let, let's do something. Yeah, and even some of the titles of the chapter were very intriguing to me. So when you read something like the FBI's Most Wanted, the Mickey Mouse Club, and don't give it away, <laughs> don't give it away. Uh, you know, that was one of the ones that I, I ran to read first, or the Alice in Wonderland that never was. Walt's Women, Two Forgotten Influences, certainly <laughs> very intriguing. But what, as I was reading the book, Jim, it, it it's a great read, not just because of the content, but as I was going through it, uh, and this is why I love having you on the show, I could almost hear you telling them to me, the reader, as they were stories. Again, not just because of the content that's in there, but it's the way that you tell them here. I, I think even differently than in other things I've read from you, because that passion really comes through on the written word in the book. Well, thank you so much, uh, Lou. That, that's very flattering, and, and, and I'm, I'm happy that that uh, uh, comes through. You know, I, I do have a real love um, uh, for this material. I, I, I have a, a great love for, for Walt Disney. I have a great love for the parks. I, and, and even today, you know, p- people say, well, Jim, they, they laid you off. Do you hate Disney? And I, and I go, no, I love the Disney brand. You know, you can love Disney and still have, you know, uh, concerns about how the Disney business is, is, is being run. And so, um, yes, throughout the book, there's no, well, look, this was so much better than what Disney is doing now. There's none of that. It's like, this was really good. Let's remember how good right. this was. Let's right. remember how, how, fun, how fun this was. And, you know, if you've, you've seen this in the park a million times, maybe this will, that million and first time, you'll see it a little bit differently after you've read this chapter. You'll appreciate something a, a little bit more. The, the, the blood, sweat, and thought that, you know, went into, into uh, uh, creating that. Maybe this will, uh, just as you brought back uh, memories of my going to Disneyland with, with my folks, maybe this will bring back some memories for, for some readers of, of their time at Walt Disney World or their time at, at, at Disneyland or their time of, of seeing, you know, that, that particular Disney animated film or that Disney live-action film. Because every Disney film is somebody's favorite Disney film. And oftentimes, you know, we just hear the same stories over and over and over about the same films. I love Snow White. But I, I would love to, to hear more stories about something. I would love to hear more stories about the, the sword and the stone. I would love to hear more stories about the Aristocats. I would love to hear because nobody tells those stories. Yeah, I noticed that there was no home on the range chapter in here. But other than that, <laughs> that, that, that that's for the sequel. That's right. for the sequel. But I mean, the, I, I think actually, for the sequel, I was out here. I was out here when they were working on Mulan 
and Lilo and Stitch. So maybe there'll be some uh, some stories involved with that, and some stories of some other animation projects before the animation was was uh, working on that. And and what a shame that uh, uh, that studio is now closed. But uh, I got to just touch lightly on that uh, on my time out here. That'll be in the sequel. And again, remind your readers. If you want a sequel, you have to vote with your pocketbook. You have to <laughs> you vote with your wallet, and you vote by buying that book. You know. I was going to say, I know that this is not the exhaustion of the Jim Corkis <laughs> mental and and uh, and physical library, and and I felt that the book not only left me wanting more, but I felt that it, it really served as not just a great read, but it it brought an introduction to a lot of things that certainly people have never heard before but it serves to help them uh, appreciate and to preserve that magic more um but I, I have to think that along the way as you are researching it especially because you are a fan first you were you know you are that mm-hmm. little kid who was a fan first there had to be still almost uh, still a huge fan yeah right so there had to be almost another layer of stories about some of what you discovered you know did you find, uh, and I'm sure there, were, there are many, um, but along the way, as you were putting the book together or putting the stories together, anything particular that that you found that was of either particular interest or was surprising to you or even humorous to you during the research process? Oh, uh, 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 countless stories. I, Other than I, the I fact that one, it's not going to well, get you well, checks. I think, one that, I think one that sticks out, of course, was how deeply religious Walt Disney was, because again, that really isn't covered uh, anywhere else. And um, in fact, Diane Disney Miller read that chapter and she said, I had no idea that that's how my dad felt and that's how my dad, you know, uh, because he really didn't uh, uh, talk about that with us. He, he, he did these things you could see by his actions. This is what he believed in, but you found him talking about this. And so uh, Walt never. Uh, uh, you know, once he came to California, he did not go to church on, on Sundays. He, that, that was it. But he was deeply religious. He, he read the Bible, uh, and, and he was very, very adamant that every religion be, be respected, you know? And I, and I think that was, that was so important because, you know, there's that urban myth that, that Walt, uh, you know, was an anti-Semite, that, uh, he, he had uh, a vendetta against Jewish people. And, and you read what he's saying, and it's like, that's not even close to this man. Right. This, this man, you know, had all of these Jewish friends. He supported all of these uh, 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 Jewish religious uh, uh, activities and, 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 and events and, and, and all, of, all of these other things. And, and you go, holy cow, did, who is this man that 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 he he's doing this? And and uh, again, uh, you talked about the uh, Alice in Wonderland chapter. One of the the huge surprises to me was we've always read that uh, when uh, Huxley, the the author of uh, Brave New World, uh, wrote a, a, a possible screenplay for Alice in Wonderland, that it was rejected because it was too literary. And you know, I always accepted that too. It was like. Oh yes, well, you know, outside authors they really don't understand how animation works. Animation is more of a visual medium 
than a than a, a literary medium, and so you have to express it visually, not you know uh, through the the play of words and all this. Ran across the fourteen page treatment that he wrote for Alice and the Mysterious Mister Carroll. So that the 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 thing he wrote was not an animated film. It was going to be like Song of the South, where there was going to be a live action Lewis Carroll and a live action Alice, and there would be animated segments that when that certain things in the story would prompt uh, an animated trip to Wonderland, which would then influence the live action story. And here is something I don't think anybody ever found, and I found when I w- was doing this because okay, well now I've I've, I've found the the treatment. Okay, let's see what Walt's comments are on this. And and Walt likes this, but but sees that there needs to be some work. And I'm taking a look at the last meeting that they had uh, on on the on uh, Huxley's story, and it, it's taking place at the Disney Studios. And I'm taking a look at the date, and it's December seventh. Hmm. When Pearl Harbor happened, that morning, Walt Disney and a, and a couple of, of, of his folks, like Bill Cottrell and all, and Huxley, they were at the Disney studio talking about the Alice in Wonderland project and then went home, and Pearl Harbor happened. Holy uh, cow. <laughs> I, again, it's the stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. And it's funny that you mentioned specifically religion because... One of the chapters in the book I, I enjoyed was the gospel according to Walt um, mm-hmm. because of his fascination with religion, but how he so delicately avoided in his films any sort of mention of or dealing with specific religions and how he adjusted sequences and things like Fantasia and even how the there was at one point the idea of having a church on Main Street in Disneyland. You know, mm-hmm. and then I sort of I tried to think of what that would have been like. And again, you you speak to Diane Disney Miller, who says that her father didn't want any particular denomination represented, so he chooses not to have one, even though it had such great meaning to him. So that mm-hmm. that to me was some of the things that I found that were sort of threaded throughout the book were some of those those little stories and little anecdotal bits like that. Well, and and you see in that chapter that the opening day of Disneyland, he had. Uh representatives from the Catholic Church and the uh, uh, Jewish Church and Protestant. But I I also list all of the people and all of the churches that he personally invited to attend the opening day of Disneyland. And and they're all over the the map. There are Mormon churches. There are all sorts. He he wanted Disneyland to uh, embrace everyone. And uh, that's how he wanted the uh, the films a- as well. And in fact, at, at one point, um, uh, Diane was thinking about becoming a nun, <laughs> and apparently that was okay with Walt. And at at another point, uh, Sharon, his other daughter, uh, was uh, inviting. Uh, it was uh, dating um, a Jewish young man, and uh, Walt and Lillian had no problem with that whatsoever. Supported it completely. And it's like. Holy cow! And 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 again, a, a lot of times religion is very difficult to talk about, and um, or uncomfortable to talk about for 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 some people. And Walt just didn't talk about it. But I dug through and found places where he, where he did, uh, and have included those in there. So again, it's my hope that future researchers will now have this material 
to pull from. So instead of cut and pasting from, you know, uh, uh, other books or magazine articles, whatever, that might be misleading or people made a, mis- a, a wrong assumption, here are the facts. Here is the truth, you know, and, and here is the quote, and here are the dates, and here are this. You can use this as, as a reference so that the, the true story, the real story will get out there. And again, not just because the information is is verifiable, and again, I, I I spoke to your research, but because I love the fact that it so personalizes Walt Disney the man. We spoke at length about when mm-hmm. we were talking about One Man's Dream, how for many young people, Walt Disney is a company, it's Mickey Mouse. You know, to know about his feelings about things like that really brings another level of depth to our understanding and our appreciation of Walt and, and how that sort of transcends things even today. So as you're going through it and doing all the research, uh, was was there any sort of one challenge or, or number of challenges that, that you faced? As, again, especially since you're trying to talk about things that happened decades ago and maybe were not documented well early on. Well, yeah, my gosh, these things are so old. They're even before I was born. <laughs> no, but nothing's that old. <laughs> and, 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 and again, the, the frustrating thing is a lot of the people who are involved, yes, they're no longer there where you can ask them. You know, um, and they never talked about it anywhere else. You know, I, I, I told you I'm, I'm writing uh, an article right now about the Rainbow Road to Oz, and, and, and that's the, the, the frustration. And then the, the frustration, too, is trying to confirm these things. You'll, you'll hear a great story, but it's like, is that a great story or is that a great true story? You know, how do I, you know, I, if, if, I, if I can't reasonably, you know, um, uh, prove that, I can't include that because I, I, I can't just, you know, say, well, that, that's, I think that probably did happen. Well, no, did it or not? Let's let, let's get that out. So, very frustrating. Also, very frustrating rewriting because, uh, I, as I mentioned to you, I'm a good enough artist to know how really bad I am. Other people go and go, "Oh my gosh, I wish I could draw like that," and "Oh, you 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 know you can do that." And it's like, "Yes, thank you very much," and and, and I'm very flattered. But boy, I can see there's the mistake there, and no matter how much I practice, I'll never get better over here. The same thing with my writing is. You know, I'm never satisfied with my writing. Is there a better way uh, of, of saying this? Could I, could I move this here? Should I eliminate that there? And, and again, that was one of, the, one of the real heartaches, too, is that as much as I included in the book, in each of those chapters, there are sections I just had to leave out because there just wasn't enough space. I know you run into that same frustration too, especially on, on your CDs and, and you've got those uh, two great ones that you uh, just released, Liberty Square and Toontown Fair. But I know especially on Liberty Square, you probably had about three times as much information <laughs> and wonderful things than you could have included within that hour and a half that you have there. Well, and and to that point, you think, okay, something like Liberty Square, it's the smallest land. It's, you know, there's not a lot to fill in there. But I'm sure as you're looking at some of these quote unquote simple stories, yeah, there's not that much there, but the dig the the deeper that you dig, you find 
how many layers there really is. And, and Liberty Square and some of the stories you tell are perfect examples, how you can make a full chapter out of some of the relatively simple topics as you look at things like the Epcot Fountain or the Golden mm-hmm. Oak Ranch or, you know, Tinker, all those things. Um, you peel back so many layers of the onion. So I'm going to ask you a question. Speaking of Tinkerbell, isn't that fascinating? I think this may be the first book that mentions that. Nobody ever asked that question. We we all accept Disney history. We don't ask that question. Nobody ever asked. Most people know the first Tinkerbell in 1961 who flew over Fantasyland was Tiny Klein from the Ringling Brothers Circus. And she was a grandmother, and she was in her 70s, <laughs> right. all right? And we accept that not one person, and this includes me, not one person ever asked, why would Walt hire mm-hmm. a 70-year-old grandmother to do this? Well, okay, well, she had experience in, in you know, the Ringling Brothers Circus doing the slides. Why would she? One of the things you'll see in my chapter is in 1958 at the Hollywood Bowl, there was a special event. There was a special show saluting the music of Disney. And Walt was there. And one of the things they did in the show in 1958 is Tiny Klein, dressed as Tinkerbell, went down the wire from the top of the Hollywood Bowl down to the stage. <laughs> and so, of course, of course, two years later, Walt is going to say, I love the woman who did that. Get me that get woman. Yeah. I don't care if she's a grandmother. I don't care if she's 70 years old. Get her. But yes, you see, that's one of those little things. Doesn't appear elsewhere. But once you get it, it helps connect the dots so that you can, you can tell that story. And I listen, I pulled up that chapter and I said, oh, I know the Tinkerbell story. I've, I've met Margaret Carey. I know the... But from the second paragraph, and again, I'm not going to give it away, when you talk about what Tinkerbell's name almost was, and then you're reading things and quotes from Dave Smith, and you're reading quotes from Margaret Carey, and you're talking uh, to uh, about things that Mark Davis and his work on it, it was, it was just fascinating. And again, I was having more of those Jim Corcus aha moments. <laughs> You know, and, and we've got more of those coming for, for the podcast, too. You know, you, you mentioned One Man's Dream. I found out in researching for this book, and I wasn't able to include it in this book, I found out more information about Granny Kincaid's Cabin and Project Little Man where we can do 45 minutes just on those. So when that attraction opens up again in November, if both of those are still in there, we've got to go in there and talk about that because I've got things that nobody else knows. And, and who they're not knows, even in the book. <laughs> right, and who knows what else they've brought in there. So yeah, there's definitely <laughs> going to be a, uh, a one man's dream part two. So I started saying before, I, there was a, a question that I was hesitant to ask you, but I know it's one that I think a listener would probably want to ask you, especially after reading this book, or maybe they've asked you in the past. So I'm sure along, the, I mean, look, you've been able to speak to so many legendary figures in the Disney company, from animators to executives to actors and actresses, whatever it might be. But certainly, uh, you never had the opportunity to to speak with Walt. As much as you know, and I don't think there's anybody that knows as much about Walt as you do. So imagine, Jim, that you have but one question 
to ask Walt other than can I have a job and, and Iron Cat yeah, lifetime yeah, why contract? Why did you lay me off, Walt? Right. <laughs> Which I think you deserve. You deserve the job and the and the ironclad lifetime contract. But have you ever thought about that? So, okay, you've got your one question to ask Walt Disney. What what would it have been? Wow, that, that, that that's an incredible uh, uh, question to ask. And you know, I've never even even considered that uh, um, uh, before because there's so much because he's he's done uh, uh, so much. I I would probably try to ask one of those open-ended questions because with Walt, once you got him started, he, he'd just keep talking. So I would probably just look at him and I'd go, why? And then just let him interpret from that and go off. Why the whole thing? Why, why Disneyland? Why? And... You know, because and if he would have said, I, I, if he would say to get chicks, it would be the perfect answer <laughs> <laughs> to impress women. Yes, to impress women. No, uh, because you know, people asked him. You know, in fact, in in my book, you know, I, I use that quote from him. You know, Walt was asked, you know, how would you like to be remembered? And he says, I'm a storyteller. Of all the things I've done, I'd just like to be remembered as a storyteller. Um, you know, people ask him, what's the most, what's the proudest thing, you know, uh, uh, about the, the company? And he says, well, just building the, the thing. He was even asked in the, in the uh, Canadian Broadcasting uh, uh, interview, you know, how would you do things differently if you had to do it over again? And he says, well, I hope I wouldn't have to do it all over again. <laughs> he says, but, you know, I wouldn't change anything. I enjoyed every minute of it. And that, that includes all of the, the speed bumps. That includes falling in the halls. And uh, I, I, I was just looking at an unpublished interview with Walt yesterday where uh, the interviewer says, well, you know, everybody thinks you're infallible. And Walt goes, oh, no. He says, I fall in the holes. He says, but I'm smart enough now that I know how to avoid some of those, and I don't fall in as deeply <laughs> as I used to. <laughs> he says, but I have more successes than I have failures, and that's what people remember. Well, it's funny uh, and appropriate, I guess, that you mentioned that quote about Walt being a storyteller, because in my notes in preparation for the interview, I had pulled that quote as well, um, because mm -hmm. he did say, I'm a storyteller, and he wants to be remembered as a storyteller. And I think, you know, from this book and your appearances on the show and your contributions to, to the magazine, uh, I'm so proud to have you share this with me and my readers and listeners, but I think you should be proud knowing that you, the way you are a storyteller, and by sharing these stories with us, you, Jim, are following very much in Walt's footsteps. Lou, that, that is so kind of you, and, and, and I'd love to be remembered uh, as a storyteller, and other people have, have commented on that, especially when I do uh, presentations, that it's not just the information. They love hearing uh, the story, that I make the story come alive for them, which, which I've definitely tried to do uh, in that book. So I'm very flattered by that. Thank you. So I, I, I will accept being a storyteller, even if it doesn't impress women. I'm happy to be a storyteller. I'm happy to be a storyteller. Well, I'm going to get you a T-shirt made up, and it's going to have all of your credits on the front, and in the back, it's just going to say impressed. <laughs> well, it, it's a good thing I'm a large guy, which is going to need a, a, a double XL shirt so that there'll be room for for all of these, because we still didn't even cover some of the things that that 
uh, I've done. And so I, I've had, uh, you know, I've, I've had a very blessed life. I've had a very amazing life. I've had an awful lot of opportunities and I've tried to do my best to help others uh, uh, along the way. And, um, I, I hope that even by sharing these stories on your, uh, podcast have helped some of your listeners, some of your listeners either enjoy the park more or, uh, become big man on campus when they, uh, share those stories with their friends and family and um, along that. And, and Lou, you are, are very much in, in the same uh, uh, same league. I, I think people love listening to you. They love listening to your stories. That, uh, that the whole uh, uh, 24-hour podcast that you did, I, I think the comments that you got were, were people who just loved you talking, whether it was about ice cream or whether it was about Disney. It was all good because it was a Lou Mangiello story. And, and people love your CDs, which they should go buy if they don't have all of those and the two new ones that, that are out there and, and, and the books as well. And then Celebrations Magazine, for crying out loud, one of the, one of the hidden treasures of, of Disney uh, with wonderful stories and, and wonderful writers and columnists in there. So well, thank I, you, I, Lou, for keeping the stories alive. No, I, you know, And that is so important. And see, that just goes to show the kind of person that you are, because here we are trying to talk about Vault of Walt, and you're mentioning the things that I do, and, and you're you're very much an inspiration in that, and, and I appreciate that, but you are the person that is continuing to carry on Walt's legacy and to spread the magic, and the Vault of Walt, the unofficial, unauthorized, uncensored, but family-friendly, Disney Stories Never Told by Jim Corcus is now available. I'm going to put a link right on the on the website in this week's show notes where you can go out and purchase the book. I highly, highly recommend it. It is It very quickly became, not just because you're here, uh, really one of the most favorite books in my Disney library. And, uh, and I and, cannot and recommend again, highly enough. And again, let's remind your readers, even though it says unauthorized and unofficial and uncensored, that doesn't mean there are scandals in the book. There are no rumors. There are no uh, psychological assumptions <laughs> uh, on all of that. Basically, these are stories that are untold and uncensored because they just didn't fit into other Disney books. So think of this as like a Disney history companion, or they were stories that people just didn't know. So they didn't know to include them, or they didn't know where to go find the information for them. So this is, this is very much a G-rated um, uh, uh, book, and I, w- I will tell you that if a um, uh, interviewee used uh, profanity, I cut that out of the quote. <laughs> so this is this is this is very G-rated because uh, again, the purpose was not to make people uncomfortable, was not to uh, shock people. It, it's to surprise people. Oh, gee, I didn't know that. But didn't want to shock people. Didn't want to offend people. Just want those stories out there. And thank you so much. Uh, uh, for promoting this, Lou, maybe we can do uh, uh, some event uh, together at, at uh, Walt Disney World where, we, where, where we'll do a meet. Uh, people can come and they can talk about the book because by that time they will have bought the book and they would have read the book and fallen in love with the book. So that, that, <laughs> and in love with good. Jim Corcus. Really, how can you not? <laughs> how can you not? So again, Jim, thank you for your time. Thank you for all that you do to, again, 
share these amazing stories like no one else can. Again, the book is The Vault of Walt by Jim Corcus. I'm going to put a link directly to where you can purchase the book right in this week's show notes at www.radio.com. And Jim, of course, you know you always have a home here at WDW Radio. I can't wait to have you back on again soon. I'll, I'll look forward to it. Thank you, Lou, and thank you to all the listeners for lasting this long listening to all of this. <laughs> That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thanks again to my guest and friend, Jim Corcus. As you know, Jim has appeared on the show many, many times. If you go to www.radio.com, click on the podcast link, or do a search for Corcus, you can find some of the other episodes on which he was a guest. I'll also put a link in this week's show notes to where you can purchase The Vault of Walt directly from Amazon.com. I'm also going to include a separate audio file that you can listen to right from this week's show notes. My interview with Jim was actually much longer, and we spoke a lot about his early history and background, some of his other jobs, and what led him to become the historian and come to work for Disney. So if you want to find out more about Jim, I'm going to put the complete unedited file in this week's show notes. You can go right to www.radio.com, click on podcast, click on this week's show, and you'll find the file right there. You can play it right from your browser. While you're there, be sure and check out our forums, blog posts. You can shop in the store. You can get signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books and my audio guide to Walt Disney World CDs. You can also download the free WDW Radio iPhone app and find out all the ways you can connect with me and the show through social networking channels like Twitter and Facebook and FriendFeed and so much more. You'll also find the entire archive of video segments. Look for a couple of new videos coming out in the next week or so as well quick reminder about some upcoming events don't forget the swan and dolphin first annual food and wine classic is going to be next weekend october 8th and 9th starting at 4 30 there's going to be educational seminars food samples and lots lots more from some of the restaurants like blue zoo shula's il molino komodo's entertainment lots lots more i'm going to put put a link right in this week's show notes where you can find out more you can also purchase tickets for the full day or for a la carte samples right on the causeway You can also get a direct link to the Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic page directly from DisneyMeets.com. There I'll also post about future events, including the November and December Meets of the Month. As You can also get a link to the WDW Radio Cruise over at WDWRadioCruise.com. As you know, we're cruising on the Disney Dream, February 27th. There's new availability for inside and some additional cabins. For a no-obligation quote, come by WDWRadioCruise.com. And if you are coming... You can also find a link where you can purchase logo gear from CafePress.com. And you know I want the show to be interactive, so if you have a question you want me to answer, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. If you want a chance to play Listener Fact or Fiction, one of them's coming up soon, you can email me at factorfiction at wdwradio.com. Be sure to include your phone number. I may call you randomly to answer 10 true or false trivia questions about Walt Disney World for a chance to win a prize pack. Or if you want to be heard on the air... With a comment, a question, or thought, you can call in at 888-703-2171. Don't forget to come by CelebrationsPress.com to order back issues, subscribe to, or find out how you can contribute to Celebrations Magazine. We are working on issue 14 now, but we have a lot of back issues still available. Again, you can come by and visit over at CelebrationsPress.com. 
Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs. And All-Star Vacation Homes has more than 150 homes within five miles of Walt Disney World. You can find out more by visiting their website by clicking on the link on the homepage of www.radio.com or by going to allstarvacationhomes.com. Stay tuned for another WDW Radio Live video broadcast and chat coming very, very soon. Again, best way to stay updated is through Twitter and Facebook. I'm twitter.com slash lumangelo, facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Again, I'll update you as far as upcoming WDW Radio Live video broadcast, as well as some other projects and some things I'm working on that I'm getting ready to announce very, very soon. I'm also working on some new guests and some segments for the show that I think you're going to enjoy. If you have a suggestion of something you'd like to hear or maybe something you'd like to contribute to the show or the blog, again, be sure and email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And as always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening to the show or share the link over on Facebook. And if you can, please come by, review the show and or the app over in iTunes. And of course, my friends, most importantly, I hope that you become inspired to pursue your passion and always keep moving forward. And most of all, I hope that you have a great, great week. Thank you again for listening. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Shelly from Maryland. I just wanted to call in and say that I'm celebrating my 30th birthday today in Walt Disney World, my favorite place on Earth. And we're sitting here at Epcot waiting to watch the... British Invasion, which is our favorite show here. I just wanted to say I really like the show. I'm a huge, huge fan, and I hope to see you sometime at a meet. And I'll see you real soon. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Darlene from Buffalo, New York. We're really looking forward to our Disney cruise in five months. And with it being the WDW radio show and today's um, day in the calendar, from Disney says, Fun and Fancy Free was released on September 27th. Well, guess who's in it? Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and Goofy. And Donald Duck is the Aqueduct. So we're going to have a blast. Talk to you soon. Bye. Have a magical day. Hi, Lou. This is Kathy Ring from Minneapolis calling again. My husband and I are at the airport ending our amazing honeymoon uh, to Walt Disney World and on our first uh, cruise on the Disney Wonder. It was amazing. We got so many congratulations for being newlyweds. We got free ice cream and special desserts and the front of rides. It was amazing. We both had such a great time. And then uh, we boarded to Disney Wonder on Thursday, and it was just the most amazing experience. The food, the, the crew was wonderful. and. We're so sad to be leaving, but I already have my husband thinking about doing an anniversary cruise next year, so that's, that's always a start. So, But thank you so much again for everything that you do, Lou, and giving us so many great tips and advice to make this trip so magical. Sorry we missed you. Hopefully uh, we'll catch you again on our next trip. Thanks, Lou. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Mr. the new Mr. and Mrs. Andrew Ring calling from... Uh, Epcot. My new husband and I just enjoyed a delicious dinner at the new Hacienda San Angel. It was delicious. We had the uh, La Hacienda, which uh, had chicken, flank steak, chorizo, vegetables, this amazing chicken and cheese. I'm sorry, not chicken and cheese, corn and cheese. It was so good. 
we just can't speak highly enough of our, our waiter, Sergio, who just took great care of us. So I highly recommend it to anybody who's coming to, uh, to Epcot. It's, it's really good. And the service is excellent. The view is beautiful as well. So um, we're having an amazing honeymoon. Uh, we've been here since Saturday, and we're just having the best time. On Thursday, we're going to board the Disney Wonder and, and go on a three-day cruise, and we're really looking forward to that. But we just wanted to call in and, and uh, recommend uh, Hacienda to everyone and let you know that we're having a great time. Thanks, Lou. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Shelly from Maryland again. I was just calling to let you know that after I left my first message, I got engaged that night at the Magic Kingdom during the Halloween party on um Peter Pan's flight, and I'm very, very happy and very excited, and I just wanted to share my good news with you. Thanks. Love the show. Bye.